Welcome to the Messages Podcast with Every Nation NYC. We are here for you to know God, grow together, discover purpose, and make a difference in New York City and beyond. Please check out our Facebook and Instagram at Every Nation NYC. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my incredible privilege to bring a message from God's Word today. So if you have a Bible, go on ahead and pull it out. But if you could, please also help me fill in the blank here. Fill in the blank on this sentence. Rules are made to be? Aren't they, though? (laughs) Let's examine that. Let's look at that. You know, there's this idea, if you look at our society, we definitely feel that way. We look at the rebels of our society. We, We think that they might be more successful than the rule followers. Those who break the rules end up like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk. Richard Branston, the billionaires, the powerful ones that have no regard for social convention. But if you look at their lives, they've all got rules. I actually looked up Elon Musk's rules for life this morning that are listed on his LinkedIn page. And it's work hard and get up early and do the right things and make the right decisions. And all of us know that the right decisions will actually lead us on the right path. As a pastor, sometimes I get asked, hey, what's the right decision Should I date this girl? Should I not date this girl? Should I take this job? Should I not take this job? And I'm like, I I don't know, man. I'm I'm a pastor. (laughs) I'm not some genie. I don't know the future. But here's what I do know. I know how to live right. People want the right decisions all the time. Give me the right decisions. What's the right answer? But few are asking for the right way of life. Everyone wants the right decision. Few want the right way of life. Everyone wants the, the, the right body. Few want the right diet. Eh? Everyone wants the right job. Few want the right work ethic that goes along with that job. Like, hey, all you have to do is get up at 5 a.m., read, read the Wall Street Journal, exercise, do this and that and this and that and this and that, all before 6 a.m. when you head into the office. They're like, hey, you know what? You can keep it. That's fine. That's fine. But what we're going to do today is not just examine somebody's rules for life. Jordan Peterson, Elon Musk, everybody's got their rules for life. We want to look at God's rules for life. Because he made all the rules up in the first place. He's the author of life. Maybe he knows a thing or two about it. So God, would you speak to us freshly from your word? Would we please, at the start of this year, be able to build rightly on what you would have us do. I don't know the future, but God, I know that you hold the future. So can we please walk with you in a fresh way this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Believe as we look at God's words today, maybe we can fill in that blank a little bit differently. Rules are made to be a blessing. Rules are made to be a blessing. And what I'd like to talk to us today about, yes, from this uh, new series, The Refresh Life, but the, my, the title of my message today is A New Way. A new way. A new way of life. A new way to live. A new way to approach our circumstances and our problems and our trials and all of life. And it's coming as we start this new year with a new series walking through a book of the Bible called, uh, called Psalm 119, or excuse me, a chapter of the Bible that's about bigger than most of the books of the Bible, Psalm 119. So it's the refreshed life, refreshed in God's word, refreshed with this new year. As we look at Psalm 119, there's a number of 
things that immediately stand out. It sings high praises to the rules that God gives us. The laws, the precepts, the testimonies of God. And it says these, and it uses every superlative in the book. These are the best, the greatest, the most magnificent. And whenever I read it, I'm like, really? Is this really what you're going to say is just so transformative, so wonderful? It, It... Honestly, as a Christian, it's always just kind of sat crooked with me. And maybe, maybe that says more about me than God's word, maybe. Psalm 19 is the longest book of the Bible. It's smack in the middle of the Bible, so if you kind of like do this. Nope, I missed it. But, you know, nine times out of ten, you might hit it. Um, it's right in the middle of the Bible, 176 verses, all but five mention the word of God, the rules of God, the testimonies of God, all but five verses. And it's an alphabetical poem, so it works its way. The start of the first word of each section starts with kind of A to Z, or in Hebrew, Aleph to Tav. And what this is saying is that from the beginning to the end, God's word is going to stand. God's word is going to prevail. His testimonies, his precepts are going to come true. And it uses all of these different words to describe what God is choosing to reveal to his people. There's all these terms for God's inscripturated revelation through Psalm 119, his law, or in Hebrew, Torah, right? That specifically refers to the first five books of the Bible, but in general, it just refers to God's instructions, his testimonies, which is what God has solemnly testified to be his will. His precepts, which is what God has appointed to be done. His statutes is what God, is the divine lawgiver, has laid down. His commandments is what God has commanded. His rules, which is what God, as the divine judge, has judged to be right. And his word, which is very simply what God has spoken. All of these terms, time and again, are spoken of through Psalm 119. And again, if you're kind of like me, you may have just yawned. You're like, this is boring. God, your word, your precepts, your laws, your covenants. Okay, fine, I get it, they're great. Can we move on? I get it. Here's what I'd like for us to just look at. If we set the, the correct parameters on our life, if we got the right boundaries right now, it will lead us to the right goal. If we have the right parameters set on our life at this moment, it'll lead us to the destination of our desire. And so while we're in this messy in-between between now and the destination that we desire, why don't we love the boundaries that God has graciously given to us? Why don't we love his laws, love his precepts, because we know that they are leading us in the life, in the path of life. So if we step out of, man, this is kind of hard work. This is boring. This is not what I wanted to come to. I wanted to come to church to be encouraged and built up and hear funny stories. Maybe we'll get to some of those. I don't know. But in the meantime, what God is wanting to work into us is a love for his path. A love for the boundaries that he's graciously placed in our lives. So that we can walk the path that he's designed for us. God help us, God help us. So we're gonna read together from the start of Psalm 119. What we've done is chosen four of the alphabet, four of the letters uh, going through this series that kind of lead us in this path. 
And what we're working from is a place of duty to a place of delight. A place of, well, I've just got to wake up and do it to a place where we're going to delight in doing it. Every now and then I start to run again. As a 24-year-old, I ran a marathon, I did a triathlon, I could run, I could run and not grow weary, walk and not be faint. Uh, and now I'm older than 24 and running and I don't always get along. But every now and then I say, I'm gonna pick that thing back up and I'm gonna try again, you know? And I go out there and run and my 38-year-old body does not respond the way that it did when I was 24 and I hurt. I hurt like crazy. And I'm out of breath in less than a mile, you know? But then I work it again. I get up a day or two later and I go for that run again. And my lungs fill a little bit deeper and I run a little bit further. And then after, and I was there just like six months ago and I'm kicking myself for letting it slip, I could run five miles with a smile on my face, breathing, enjoying nature, enjoying the run. Not going maybe quite as fast as I did when I was young, but still finding that joy in the pace and watching the world fly by me and watching the really super fast people fly by me in Central Park, what's going on? Got my eye on you. Duty becomes delight when we do the right stuff. So maybe you're on that path and you're finding it hard or maybe you've never joined this path of following God's word or maybe you've been on it for years. But as we study this, my hope and my prayer is that our church will find our feet on the path of God, in the word of God, and that duty will become delight. Our lungs will fill a little bit deeper and we'll be able to look up and smile and see, God, the place that you place me is good because I'm walking this path with you. So let's read together Psalm chapter 19, verse 1 through 8. It goes like this. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, whose walk is in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You've commanded your precepts and kept, uh, to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways would be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. So here's my message today. It's pretty simple. We've got to know God's word. We've got to walk in God's ways. And then we will get to live in that blessed life. This, this section, this book, or excuse me, this chapter starts off with blessed. Blessed, blessed. Everybody wants to be blessed. Hashtag blessed. Yes, please. Blessed. Blessed are those who do what? Walk is blameless. And blameless here, it means full, complete, whole, not lacking anything. It doesn't just mean perfect. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. And then it goes on to enumerate walking in, with the, in the ways of the Lord, keeping his statutes, eyes fixed on his testimonies, our whole heart praising God, our whole life devoted to this craft of living in God's word. So we've got to know this thing. Starts with, it's fine if it's there on your bookshelf, it's fine if you brought it to church, it's fine if it's in a forgotten folder on the back of your iPhone in a forgotten app that you've not opened all year, that's okay. But it's time to dig it out and to start to know God's word. Now, I grew up in church and I was told, and I was just at a conference where our students were told by literally every preacher, read your Bible. 
read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. And um, I want to confess to you guys, I grew up in church, as a pastor's kid, I did not read my Bible. Did not read it. Did not read it. And um, here's one of my excuses. I've got a few. Uh, one is, I just couldn't read. I'm dyslexic. Couldn't read. Couldn't read really with any fluidity until I was 18 years old. When God did a mighty like, work in my life, I learned how to read in public. Praise God, that's like now my job is to stand in public and read. Uh, thank you, Jesus. He did, he did a real mighty work. So that was one of my excuses. I just hated reading. But I always felt super guilty. And so my hope is that I don't provide any guilt or just condemnation to you. Or like, man, I'm just a bad person. I came to church today to learn that I'm a bad person. Not what I want to do. But maybe I could add some inspiration to read the Word of God. And here's something that's helped me. Because every time I open my Word, uh, especially if it's been a minute since I've ever looked at it, like it was frequently when I was my teens and early 20s, I'd go to this thing and go, this is a big book, where do I start, at the beginning? My youth pastor told me not to start at the beginning, but I guess I'll start at the beginning anyways. And, uh, <laughs> or he told me to read John, or he told me to read a proverb a day, or he told me to read this or that, and it's just kind of, you pick it up in the middle, you don't know where you are. It's tough to read, I'll be honest, it's tough. And it's tough on purpose. Like, really? Yeah, it's not written like our sugar-coated, you know, blog posts of the day. Here's the three things you need to know to know the thing you need to know. Cool. One, two, three. Know the thing. Kind of like my message, maybe. <laughs> God's Word is meditative literature. It's generations of accumulated wisdom that have been compact and condensed and written in a way to get you to think. And when we read, it requires our whole brain. I heard recently that there's not a portion of our brain that's devoted to deep reading. You use your visual cortex, you use your imaginative portions, you use the linguistic portions. You're using, your whole brain has to fire together. Which is why I love to read, and I'm going to keep saying this as long as I'm alive, from paper. Why would we use the same thing that we get work, stressful work emails and texts and maybe look at images we shouldn't look at and other distracting things? Why would we use that thing to read the Word of God? Get off of it. Set it, set it down. Get rid of it for 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes, an hour, and pick up this thing and read deeply. Let your whole brain fire in harmony to understand and learn and absorb the words of God. Get them in you. It's going to take a while. First time you read it, you might not get it, and that's okay. I'm right now, because I was a late bloomer, I'm on my fourth pass through the scriptures. For the past four or five years, I've been going, all right, once a year, I'm going to read through the Bible. And I brought my Bibles that I've been reading from today to just be honest with you, right? I've been honest, so here we go. I just wanted to share, this is not to brag and this is not to condemn, but hopefully, again, to inspire. This is a Bible I bought uh, 365 days. It's a reading Bible, and it walks through the Bible chronologically. I this is really helpful for me, because the books of your Bible are set out thematically, not chronologically, and so this one chops all those up, puts them in chronologically, so you can begin to digest the Bible in the order of the story that it tells. Really helpful. Really helpful. Very hard to find the verse that you're looking for, but really super helpful. 
So a good Bible to just read through from cover to cover. I love doing this once a year. I did it twice, and then this year uh, I started to take all these notes in here, and I was like, these are good notes. God's really speaking to me. Uh, but this Bible is falling apart because it's like $15 on Amazon, which is another good reason to pick it up. So I got a journaling Bible. So this year I'm going cover to cover in a more traditionally laid out Bible, except that every other page is blank, so there's plenty of space to take notes. I've got that Bible. Uh, now, when I don't understand it, I've got what my wife refers to. Yeah, this is a good Bible. Uh, as the Right Answers Bible. <laughs> This is what my wife affectionately refers to as the Right Answers Bible because half of it is commentary. Uh, and it has verse-by-verse -verse commentary. This is a very good, the ESV study Bible is a phenomenal study Bible. Having a study Bible in your home is a strong recommendation from me. Again, paper is better just because it's, it's, it just, it's just better. I don't If I need to justify it, I'll try. But it doesn't text you, it doesn't show you pornographic images, it doesn't do a lot of bad stuff that your phone does, so it's just better. Great, there you go. Um, and then, here we go, I've got the purple book. <laughs> and this year we're going to walk through the purple book, wow, that's a lot lighter than my Bible. Um, we're going to walk through the purple book, and this is a 12-chapter study through the themes of Scripture. So it starts with like sin and salvation and lordship and baptism and getting filled with the Holy Spirit and world missions and the church and the plans of God. So we're going to walk through this in our next series called Stormproof, but this week we're walking through a little book. Do I have that up here? No. Uh, the, the, this week we're walking through our prayer and fasting devotionals through the book of Acts. So pick up one of those on your way out because this year we're going to be built, devoted to the word of God. As the song said, rains came, winds blew, my house is built on you. So that's our, my goal this year is that I'm going to, we're going to build our lives on the word of God, build some storm-proof lives, and be refreshed in God's word as we start off the new year. So there we go. I like big Bibles. I cannot lie. <laughs> Got to know it. Got to know it. It's a gold mine. As you read the words of God, sometimes revelations just fall out. Like if you move to a land that's rich in gold, sometimes it's just laying there on the surface, but it's going to take tools and time and diligence to dig in and to find the vein of God's gold for you, for your life. This is about discovering the right way of life, not just the right answers in a moment. So we're gonna live with God and moment by moment, bring the best version that God has designed you to be into the circumstances of life. Once we know God's word, then it's great to know it, but our job is not to just fill our heads or even just our hearts, but to fill our lives with God's word. We've got to walk in it. It means that there's a new direction. There's a new direction versus the natural decisions, the natural course of our lives. Our lifestyle must change when we read God's word. Our decisions must be different after we've consulted God's word than before. It's not going to be easy to follow the path that God has for us, but it will be blessed. So our lifestyle will change. Our choices will be different. 
And as we encounter some of what God is teaching us, this question ought to arise at some point, just like my children ask, why, why God, why, why these rules? Why these rules? When I was in college, a girl I was uh, trying to reach out to, she asked, hey, did God discover the rules that he gave us or did God make them up? I was like, that's a really good question. I had to go ask somebody. I didn't know. So did God discover them? Let's work this out. What does that mean logically? If God discovered the rules, then that means that there's something bigger and better than God and that he's subject to something outside of himself. So God couldn't have discovered them. Did God just make them up? Well, if God just made them up, then they're kind of divinely arbitrary. And God's a little bit cruel because he's subjecting us to something that he's not following himself. So did God discover them? Did God make them up? The answer is neither of those. False dichotomy. The rules, the laws, the precepts, the teachings, the testimonies of God issue forth from the very heart and nature of God. God is asking us to do something because it is what he is like. He's already that way. He didn't discover them. He didn't impose them. He's inviting us into a relationship where we become more like him. That helped me a lot. I was like, okay, these are not just rules for rules sake, but they're in the nature of God. And as such, as God spoke and created the world, they're also in agreement with the natural order. So as we live in line with God's word, we're living in peace and harmony with God and with the natural world around us. We live at peace. We're blessed. We're whole. We're full. And I want to look particularly at one example, just one example of one of God's laws that is particularly maligned in our culture. Our culture hates God's laws because really our natural bodies hate God's laws because they're different than our desires. They're imposed upon us from the outside, an outside thing, God, God's word, is now bringing these things on us and causing us to live differently. And so naturally we're gonna balk because we think we're God, when in fact he's God. So let's just take a look God's desire for our sex and sexuality, right? Just a hot button topic in our culture. Something that we know the word of God and our culture disagree with, with each other mightily. So why does God call us to monogamous covenantal relationships? Because God is faithful. God's asking us to be faithful in our marriage commitments and with our sexuality because he's faithful to you and to me. God's not asking us to do something that he's not doing. God's singularly committed. He's asking us to be singularly committed because he's one and only God who's committed fully to his people. If God's called you his, then he's committed to you singularly. And it's covenantal. When two become one in flesh and soul, they form a covenant together, stronger than a contract, stronger than a commitment. Stronger than consent, because God has based his faithfulness not on what he's feeling in this moment, not on your performance, but on his word. God's made a covenant with you, and so when we sin and when we fall away and we do things that we shouldn't do, God's not like, well, you blew it, sorry. He's saying, this isn't about you anyways. This is about me. This is about my word. This is about my commitment. So you can blow it all day long, but I'm committed to you. I'm committed to you. 
I'm going to be faithful to you because of what I've said. This is not about you. This is about God Almighty. And so now, as recipients of God's covenant faithfulness and carriers of his word, we too are to cherish the things that he cherishes, including covenantal faithfulness. From him to us and now through us in all of our life, covenantal faithfulness, that includes our sex and sexuality. So why is God asking this, these things, these higher callings of us? It's not because he's cruel. It's not because he too is like, wow, these rules just exist and he's subject to them. It's because this is the nature that he's like and he's inviting us to be like him and to know him. It's really impossible to know God if we've not experienced some of the things that he's experienced. Covenantal faithfulness being just one of those many things that God is like. God's nature is also expressed in our created order and when we interact with nature, we get to know some of what God is like. As we were walking in this morning, my son said, Dad, I'm bored. <laughs> and my wife responds, we don't care. And then we said, look up and look around you. And immediately we see trees and we hear birds. And we say, aren't we blessed that in the middle of our crazy busy city, we can still hear the birds as we walk by Central Park and see the trees and remember God's faithfulness and goodness in this moment. It's continually being expressed through the natural order. Psalm 19, like the little brother of Psalm 119, starts out like this. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night after night reveals knowledge. When we read God's word, we learn what he's like. When we look at nature, we learn what he's like because he's imprinted on both his very heart for you and for me. And when we live in alignment with God's word, we're living in alignment with the one who made everything and we live at peace with the natural world and we live at peace with our brothers and sisters around us. That's what it means to be blessed. Blessed are those. Oh, I was about to quote Psalm 1. Blessed are those who walk not in the way of sinners, who path of sit in the seat of scoffers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water and will bear fruit in season. His, weave, his leaf will not wither and the flower will not fade. Yeah, don't, don't, don't applaud that. It was a very poor <laughs> memory. I wasn't planning on doing that. Psalm 1, Psalm 19, Psalm 119, all about the beauty of God's word. Can we let it inspire us and get us into God's word and maybe also allow God's word to get into us and then affect our life and our lifestyle? We know it. We live it. We walk it. And then we live blessed. We live blessed. Verse 1 again, blessed are those. This is what I was actually trying to say. Blessed are those whose way is blameless and who walks in the law of the Lord. Blessed. But maybe you're a little bit more like verse 8 in this today. Verse 8 says this, I will keep your statutes. Uh, don't utterly forsake me. And with that last little piece of the sentence, I think we need to read the first half of the sentence like this. Like, I, I will keep, I will, God, I'm going to do it. I will keep your statutes. Just in the meantime, please don't utterly forsake me. And I get that feeling. Because, man, when you read the laws of God and you see his high call on our life, 
sometimes we can feel the discrepancy. Sometimes we can feel that discrepancy very sharply. Like, God, I want to be there, but right now I know I'm a little bit more like here, and if I'm honest, here, please don't forsake me. Please don't forsake me. I'd like to invite the band, uh, maybe Kaylee Beth, you could come up here as I close out. When we're honest, when we read God's word, it can feel like we're trying to continually live up to something. God, you've got all these beautiful ways that you've designed the world, all of these things for me to walk in, all of these promises for me to possess, but God, I'm just down here just trying to make it in New York City. Just trying to live my life. I'm just trying to scrape by, love this family that you've given me, do this schoolwork that my professors have given me. I'm just trying to get enough money to pay my rent this month. Like, God, what is going on? I'm trying to live up to God's word, but here's the good news to your church. God's word is not something that we get to live up to. God's word is something that he came down to you for. Do you get it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things that were created were created by Him and through Him, and the Word moved into, became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Again, a poor quoting of John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God's Word is not just something that we live up to. God's Word is something that came down to us. We can feel like it's perfection that God is asking for. Like, God, am I gonna live up to it? What other rule of life do you know that became flesh, dwelt among us, and then died for us? Elon Musk's 10 rules of life will not do that for you. Jordan Peterson's 12 rules of life will not do that for you. Nobody's good advice is going to become a person and then die to make up your discrepancy. But that's what the word of God does for us. That's what the love of God does for us. He says, I'm gonna wrap myself in your flesh suit. I'm gonna wrap myself in love. I'm gonna wrap myself in vulnerability. And I'm gonna come and live in this world. And the perfection is going to die for the imperfect. And the rule is going to die for the lawless. And the beautiful is going to die for the marred. So that you can be made whole, made right, and made well. So if you're today feeling like, man, I can't live up to it. No, the word of God came down to you. There's also those that are of, here that might feel like rebels. And the world tells us to be rebels, to throw off sexual boundaries, to throw off the rules of tradition, to throw off the societal pressures or norms and to live you. Be true to you is a mantra of our day. What our society is telling us, what our social media feeds are telling us, is to be God ourselves, to be a man God or a woman God, to be a goddess, to be a man God. Those are also called dictators, you know. Those are called abusers, 
those God men called addicts. If you live that out to the fullest extent, if you give yourself to your own desires, it will kill you. We can see that plain and simple. If I did what I want, I would not be well. I have to say no daily to my desires. I would not be a married man. I would not be a decent, a halfway decent father. I would not be a pastor if I said yes to everything that I want. Being a man God leads to death. But a God man came down and lived the life that you should have lived and died the death that you deserved and rose again three days later. And his name is Jesus. He is the word made flesh. And so for the rebels among us, that want to be man-gods, submit your life to the God-man. Give your life to the one who loves you and has not abused you. The one who gave his life for you, the one that is proven with his blood that he's in it to win it for you. While so many others are in it for your like and for your comment, for while so many others are in it for you to buy their book, while so many others are in it to get your approval, Jesus is in it for you. Give your life to him. Give your life to him. Give your life to him. Stop holding back on your yeses to the Lord because nobody has messed up your life more than you. Nobody could do it worse. So why don't you try giving it to the Lord? Giving it to someone better. Giving it to someone who holds the future. Giving it to someone who has loved you with all they've got, who has never held back on you because I know what you're thinking man if I give my life to Jesus if I actually obey his word I will miss out and I've heard it all the time I'm scared of it myself the last time I came up close and personal with the Lord something whispered in my ear I was doing business with God and wanting to give a new part of my life to the Lord because there was fear operating in a portion of my heart. And I knew that wasn't of the Lord. Fear is not of God, right? His word says, I'm not giving you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and a power and of self-control or a sound mind. I was like, man, there's fear operating in my heart. And I heard, if you give that to God, he's gonna make you preach on subways. It's <laughs> like, well, that's, that's bad. And then I, I realized, hey, there's an enemy. There's other voices out there as well. There's my fear talking to me. There's the devil talking to me. There's the Lord talking to me. There's this prayer warrior that I was working with that was talking to me. There's a thousand good reasons to not give your life to Jesus. There's a thousand good reasons to not trust the Lord. But none of them are right. There's no right reasons to not trust God. There's no right reasons to hold back our yes from the Lord. He loves you. His law, his word, his love, his eternal revelation came down to, say, to die and to save you. The just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, the beautiful and perfect for the mistaken and marred. Lord Jesus, today we give our lives to you freshly. We give up on our perfection. We give up on trying to live up. And we thank you that you came down. We give up on our rebellion, on our man-God status. And we receive the God-man into our lives fresh and new. God, we give up 
on trying to figure it out and fight it out on our own ways and trying to live life my way. God, we submit to your way. Perfection, we say no. Rebellion, we say no. And we receive humble, loving submission to your word. God, I pray that as we read your word, as we walk through the purple book, as we pray and fast together this week, duty would become delight. And you'd fill our lungs up with your love, with your grace, with your power, with your endurance to do the things that you've called us to do, to press past the fears, to press past the social pressures, to press past the patterns that we've established in our lives thus far, and to go into your glory, into your promises, into your revelation, into your purposes, and into the abundant graces of our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You've been listening to the Messages Podcast with Every Nation NYC. If you enjoyed our message, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps others hear the message of Jesus, and we really appreciate it. If you have yet to spend time with us in person, we would love to welcome you to one of our services. Visit everynationnyc.org to find all the info you need to attend a service. We will see you there.